0: Welcome to another episode of the Haskin cast podcast. I am your host Scott Haskin and I have a guest host with me who is familiar if you guys listen to backtracks Aerosmith revisited or Backtracks theme music uh, sometimes he shows up on and the podcast will rock. My co-host John Mariano John, how are you? Oh, I'm great, Scott. How are you? I'm doing great, my friend. Thanks so much for coming on to tackle Cindy Lopper's album. She's so unusual. I'm really excited to talk about this one with you.
1: You know, this is like the third time you've thanked me for for showing up today. Well, thank and you. Really, really, I've I've walked over from my bed, which is like five feet away, and I am happy to be
0: here. Excellent. Well, I appreciate it. Uh, what is now? This album came out in uh, 1983, late '83, like mid October. I don't think that I got into it really until the following spring or summer. Because to me, uh, when I think of this album, I think of it being really warm and humid out. And I was growing up in Michigan at the time. So it's more of a spring or summer album for me. Where does it fall for you? So it's weird because
1: I wasn't really purchasing albums at the time. I was, I think, about five when this came out. Mm -hmm. Um, But where it does hit for me, Is I was bowling a lot as a five-year-old I was in a bowling league and it brings me back to a time when I was in my bowling league with with, with all my like grammar school first grade friends and whatever and and I remember how huge this album was like it was everywhere and the hits the singles um I don't know if there's like five or six singles off of this I remember like four of them you know being huge you you know at the bowling alley and and that that's where this always brings me back to
0: oh sure and and especially such a, an early childhood memory how did you get on a bowling league at 5 that's super young isn't it i don't know your parents sign you up you show up you roll
1: a ball down the lane and and, and you get lucky if it, if it hits a pin or two
0: well that's fair <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I You know, and, and what's interesting is the little bit of driving that I do uh, when I get in the car, because most of the trips that I take are pretty short. I go to the store, I go to the strip and that's about it. And um, sometimes I won't bring my iPod, I'll just put on the radio. And it's either ACDC, Aerosmith, or Cyndi Lauper doing time after time. It's like every single time I get in the car, I hear one of those three, if not more than one of those three.
1: I I, I can tell you that when my youngest daughter was in preschool they did time after time for one of their talent show performance things and for the better part of the six months um that's all she sang and to this day she's singing the karaoke it's still one of her favorite songs yeah um it, it, and it's
0: partly because it hit her at such a young age but it's just that damn good of a song it is. And for, for people that aren't great vocalists, it's a fairly easy song to sing because it doesn't have really any power notes. It doesn't have a lot of dynamic range. It's just a beautifully performed song. Very simple. I'm a terrible vocalist, guy, and I can't sing it. <laughs> well, I'm not going to put you to the test tonight, that's for sure. Uh, a couple of interesting things about this album. Um, we do have a, a Prince cover on it. And we'll get to that one. We also have a Helen Kane cover on it, uh, which we will also get to. But what is amazing to me, well, not not amazing so much as I'm, I'm very happy to see it, but Cindy was nominated for so many awards for this album. It's not even funny. And she did win a couple. She won the uh, award for Best New Artist. She won the Grammy for that. She won the uh, Grammy Award for Best Album Package for, for She's So Unusual. And she also won uh, the MTV Video Music Award for Best Female Video for Girls Just Want to Have Fun. And was nominated for like every other award on there. Do you remember that video? I do. Captain Lou playing her dad. So this was a really interesting time. So I'm going to refer to the WWE for the moment as the WWF. Because at the time, that's what it was. There was no SmackDown. There was no Monday Night Raw. You had some couple of different random times that wrestling shows would come on TV. There were, I think, two or three different wrestling leagues at the time. And I, as a kid, loved wrestling. I had them all scheduled out. Even if they were best of shows of what happened recapping the week, I watched those two because that's all we had. There were no VCRs, no DVDs, none of that stuff back then. If if you missed it, you missed it. And I remember... Lou Albano being a manager, but I don't remember for who. Do you remember? Oh, I
1: think it was – it might have been the Islanders or, or the Wild – I think it was the Wild Samoans actually. Ah, Captain, yes. Yeah. Captain Lou was, was definitely a manager. Um, it what, What's funny is it, it was a weird time in wrestling. Like You remember it being like three or four wrestling leagues at the time. What was happening was – just if I could go, get into the history of it for a yeah. second – um Vince McMahon Jr., right? Because he um Vince McMahon Sr. had owned the, the company. It was a WWE at the time or F. And then Vince McMahon Jr. decided to try to start buying out the other territories or, 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 or stealing their thunder and making his territory, their tor- territory mm-hmm. at the time that that's what wrestling was, was a bunch of different smaller ta- territories where people would go and wrestle. Mm-hmm. And the reason why you remember it being less was he was um, turning it into a borderline mon- monopoly, right? It, it ended up with there only being two left with the NWA, which would become WCW. Mm-hmm and the WWF which would become the WWE.
0: So was the NWA, that's where Rick Flair and the Von Erics were, right? Correct. Okay. Um
1: so 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 wrestling didn't WWF didn't have a regular show on TV yet. The main event hadn't happened yet on NBC. Mm-hmm. WrestleMania wasn't quite a thing yet, but he was looking to get bigger and one of the ways he wanted to get bigger was to get celebrities involved. Mm-hmm. So um he came up with this concept of rock and wrestling and got involved because MTV was getting huge and got a show on MTV and Roddy Piper was involved and and Paul Orndorff was involved. And uh, I can't, I can't remember who else, but it was like a couple of villain wrestlers and it was Hulk Hogan Mm -hmm. and they got Cindy Lauper and and Lou Albano involved and Cindy Lauper and, and Lou Albano formed a bond through, through this event on MTV. And that's what led to Lou Albano showing up in some of her music videos. Mm -hmm.
0: Yep. And, and I remember he was really a character, you know, he wasn't just a manager that stood by the ringside, like some of them did. He was really, he was involved. He was a part of the show. And I remember the first thing that would always come to mind was the rubber bands in his beard that for some reason he had them just stuck in his beard, not actually tying anything down, just kind of hanging there really w- awkwardly. And then uh, when he popped up in Cindy Lauper's first video, which I think was the first video girls just want to, yeah, it was, it was girls just want to have fun. And then she bop, I think was the second one. Um, yeah. I'm like, okay. All right. So there they've got like a business thing going together and, and it worked really well. Cause he played the overbearing father, uh, very similar to the twisted sister video. I want to rock where you had that militant dad, uh, just you know, in his son's face. What do you want to do with your life? Because they were around, I think, around the same time, and so that was that was kind of a message that we were getting of you know you could you could be an individual, do your own thing, and that's what I loved about Cindy was that she didn't she just seemed to be who she was. You know, it didn't well, seem like an act or a character. It just seemed like this is who you really are. But but I think it was more to
1: to the story than that because I believe Cindy. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I think I read somewhere. She had an abusive stepfather. And I really mm-hmm. think that he was the stand-in for that in the video, even though the video is wow. played for, for laughs and played for comedy. Mm-hmm. I think you know it wasn't just like playing on the note of like a twisted sister video or something like that. Yeah. I think it was actually telling the story of her life to a degree. And mm-hmm. that's what she escaped to become who she is. And that and it was like a become a real empowerment message
0: that could be that that's very possible and would certainly make sense and god she has gone on to do so many things she's she's become quite an activist i know that she did uh, a lot of work with lady gaga going to the president to try and get laws changed and um she's really somebody who just never stopped pushing and mm-hmm. uh, uh, to create the world that she wants to be in and i i really admire that
1: no, and she tried her hand at acting for a minute with Jeff Goldblum in a movie. Oh, yeah. Um, you, you know, she, she she really had her hands in a lot of different things. Um, but this album stands out to me because it's not, like, you know my taste in mu- music. And I, I don't know if you were surprised that I wanted to be involved in this. new. It's
0: like, it's like a new new wave album, basically. Yeah. Yeah. I'm uh-huh. more of like the thrash metal guy. Right. I It did for a second. I was like, I bet there's a history though with this album because there are certain things that might not be in our our main genres, but you can never ever underestimate the power of nostalgia or connective memory. Yeah, and
1: she has been one of my favorite artists from from the begin, like from my earliest memories. Like mm-hmm. I'm putting it back to a bowling alley when I was five, and that 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 doesn't go away. And yeah. Um, you know, just the way she embraces art and uniqueness, um, is something you can't take away Mm -hmm. and something I think all of us can learn from and all of us need to
0: embrace a little bit more of. I agree. I'm curious. Um, you know, I try not to, I, I try not to form opinions of people based on what I see in social media. Or uh, you know, even even television shows, or especially reality shows and things, because so much of it is edited to look a certain way, or or this it's scripted or driven to to have certain outcomes. But I have to say, when I saw Cindy on Celebrity Apprentice, what I was most blown away with is her insane level of creativity and how sure she was of of the decisions that she was making. She was so confident and so. Poised, I could see why people might think she's difficult to work with because she's very sure of herself. But at the well, same time, it's like that unending creativity is amazing. Not a lot of people can do that.
1: Well, I come to you with some secondhand news, Scott. All right. So my friend Lisa, who um Lisa Molina, who who is guested on um the theme music podcast that both Corey and I do. Mm-hmm. Um she's a re- really close personal friend of mine and she's also a singer. And I, I found out because I told her I was going to be on this today. I, I talked to her last night and she gave me a little tidbit that she once recorded a jingle for Cindy Lauper. Really? She, was a kid, she did. Wow. And her 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 adjectives that she used were generous and kind and sweet and professional. And like you said, like she really knows what she wants, um, but all of those other things too, right? Um, and and this comes from somebody who met her as a child and worked for her,
0: mm-hmm. right?
1: Mm-hmm. And, and that was the, that that was the relationship. That's very her, interesting for her to remember her as being kind and generous. Like I'll take that as the letter of the law.
0: Oh yeah. Well, and those are the most important things. I think people mistake drive and accomplishing things and knowing how to get things done, knowing how to not waste time, they take that as being difficult. And I don't think that that's always the case. Some people are just difficult, but other people are like, look, we've got to get this done in two hours. Here's how we're going to make it happen. And they stick to that schedule and they get it done. She's had to work under pressure shooting three music videos in one week. You know, those are things that a lot of bands will take three weeks to shoot one video. She knows how to make it happen and you have to stay on schedule. You have to be driven to get that done, but it's more gossipy, right? It's more fun to talk about. Oh no, she was so demanding and difficult. And I'm sure that's rarely the case. I think she's just focused.
1: Yeah. I, I, I really think that there would be a lot more stories about her if they were true, Mm -hmm. right? Like what we hear is we hear whispers, And I usually find that that's either the case when people are super powerful and can keep the story quiet, or more likely than not, they're just not true. And it's a couple of people who are disgruntled, who are Mm -hmm. speaking out for
0: one reason or another. Yeah, there's, I I often feel that there's an agenda behind comments like that. Also,
1: also, like, I'm, I'm, I'm not always against, like, sometimes people have a bad day. And if you're experienced with them. Is during that bad day or that bad week or that bad project, then that's your experience with them. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean it's true all the time.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. And and I, I I've never been on a reality show. I don't think I would ever put myself in a position to do that. But I know that what those people go through, the TV can't possibly capture the intensity, the exhaustion, the the push to, you know, have sound bites and do this or that to add tension to it, to make it more interesting for the audience. It's not a prime time to watch and see how somebody is. And for her to be as creative as she was, even under all of that, that does speak volumes to me about her.
1: And And those shows, let's be real, don't want to show that side of it. Yeah. Right. Right. Like th- those shows w- want to just show the drama. They want. They, they want to show the conflict. They don't want to show the effort, and the effort can be very compelling if it's produced the right way. It's just that they're not putting in the effort to do it.
0: Exactly. And and another one from The Apprentice that, uh, that I could say the same thing about was Brett Michaels from Poison. And I talked about this in the four-part series I did with John Matola on, um, uh, on the Poison uh, album we did. It was very much a... I could see a lot of frustration. I could see a lot of maybe some attention issues. But then I look at it, and I'm like, yeah, but we're seeing 30 seconds out of six hours that they were working on this task or 10 hours that they were working on this task. And it's so unfair to judge people, but very much like Cindy, he had that same, just insane creativity. It was, it was mind blowing to watch those two. What irritated me about the
1: Brett Michael stuff is that I felt like the editors cast him as the dumb blonde. Very much so. And I don't like in anything else I've ever seen him in. I don't get that vibe at all. Mm -hmm. He's very, he's very much. Creatively in control and very direct and very bright. And it's like, oh, we're going to make the rock star look dumb on TV. And it's like, oh, okay, great. Well, now I really don't want to watch your program anymore.
0: Right. Yeah. He's the horny male rock star. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I, I'll say this if I had the, if budget was not an issue and I had the opportunity to market myself as a musician, you know, composer, whatever, and, uh, those two are the first people whose doors I would knock on to say I need something really good to get me to the next level because I think either one of them would be the right people to go to
1: if you were in a position where they answer the door when you knocked on it I'd come I'd fly out to Vegas and shake your hand.
0: <laughs> well there you go <laughs> well, I think uh, I think this is a good time to get into some of the music on this album. We're also going to listen to a bonus song that is not on this album. Uh, to clear up a little confusion, there are different configurations of this album that came out. The original album had 10 songs on it, ending with Yeah, Yeah. There was another version that came out that had 13 songs on it that were uh, adding uh, live versions of Money Changes Everything, Shebop, and All Through the Night, all of which are very good versions. Uh, I typically don't get into live versions on this show. Um, but then there was another version that had two live versions of Money Changes Everything for some reason. I still don't know why Um, it it was an exclusive Japanese bonus track, but they already had a live version. So putting two live versions of the same song as bonus tracks, I don't know. That just kind of seemed like a a record company cash grab to me, but you know, you get what you get.
1: I'm okay. If we just do the studio stuff. Yeah. I mean, it's it's your ship. It's your show. Like you, (laughs) you're you're used to me throwing you the curveballs on the other shows, but like, I am purely here as a guest to enjoy my time with you buddy.
0: And you are let me just stop here and just say you are a master of He'll say it's like just just go ahead and say what you're going to say. I've got something planned and he'll throw me like the most ridiculous curveball and then he'll change his mind in the middle of it and do something even more difficult for me to to respond to and that wasn't even what his plan was like you're a comedic genius in the moment. Like you would be great at improv. I look,
1: I, I, I credit some of that. I, I, I grew up with an uncle who was in the business. Um, I, He was in the Groundlings for a little bit and we would play off each other a lot. So mm-hmm. I, I appreciate the kind words. And I think some of it comes from that. And some, a lot of it comes from growing up on, on things, sketch comedy, like Saturday night live and everything. Um, But I also like to just come and play. But when you invited me to come on this show, I was like, I'm taking off that hat. And I just want to talk <laughs> music with you. Yeah. I don't, want to, I don't want to, because believe it or not, as fun as that stuff is, it's work. Like, because my mind, when we do those shows, you know, I it takes me, like, I don't tell you or Corey this, but it takes me like a, a good hour to decompress after we record because mm-hmm. I'm in a lane I'm not normally in. And we record pretty late. So, like, yeah. You know, at least I'm on the East Coast, so it's it's pretty pretty late for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so so it takes it takes me a while to decompress because I'm I'm in a gear I'm not normally in. I, I do it for the entertainment, for the fun. Right. But when you you invited me here, you know, to talk Cindy opera, I'm like, I just got to talk music tonight. I'm sure I'm thrilled.
0: Yeah, and you know, for me, I I think I got a lot of my uh, personality from watching way too many episodes multiple times of Mash. I think that uh, kind of sarcasm and quick witted humor, also working with sixty rock and roll musicians probably helped a lot. And uh, I also like to think I'm part Jack Burton, part Snake Plissken. I mean,
1: I, I I'm not going to argue with that. You 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 <laughs> have you have the devilish good looks for for either role.
0: And that's why I do an audio, mostly audio only podcast. <laughs> well, our uh, our first song on this album that we're going to listen to is a song called Money Changes Everything. Now, this one uh, was written by Tom Gray, who I know absolutely nothing about, but performed by Cindy Lauper on this album. What do you say, John? Should we uh, give it a spin? Yeah, please. Let's do it. the first thing that really stands out to me is the production i mean this is definitely an 80s sounding album those electronic drums the the guitar uh there's something about the guitar tone in the 80s that was really unique to that time but the production is fantastic on this album
1: yeah not only is it fantastic it's it's you know it's a new wave album and it's so specific i feel like if you're listening to this song specifically, you feel like you've heard this song or or, or this artist, Cyndi Lauper, on several others because it was imitated so often.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You, you know, and, and and this, you know, I don't know if she was the first to do it, but she was definitely the most popular to do it. And you know, I'm a big fan of Barry Gordy's "The Last Dragon." Mm-hmm. And in that movie, they, they um, Eddie Arcady is like the villain, and he has his girlfriend he's producing albums for, and she has a very Cindy Lauper look to her. And the albums and the songs she's recording are very much in the vein of this particular song.
0: Yeah, from what I re- I haven't seen that uh, that movie in a long time, but from what I remember, that is ringing a bell. I think one thing that's great about this song is right out of the gate, you understand who Cindy Lauper is. You get what her voice can do. Uh, You get the vibrato, you get the power in it, you get the passion in it. And we only listen to the first 54 seconds of the song. But right off the bat on this album, you can identify who she is. And she is very consistent through this whole album.
1: She's very consistent and, and, and her voice really, you know, brings originality to it because it's not just a powerful voice, but it's a very original voice. It's
0: very hard to duplicate what she does on this album. And am I wrong? But I'm hearing a bit of a. I, I know when she speaks, she has a New York accent, but I'm I'm hearing that in her vocals. Are you hearing that?
1: Yeah, I mean, she's from Brooklyn, which is like as New York as you can get. Yeah, like I I have a New York accent, and but but I I feel like I almost have a British accent next to Cynthia Lauper.
0: <laughs> well, and that but that's my point. Like when you hear a British singer. A lot of times when they're singing, they you can't hear their accent. They sound American, because and I've always said it's because a lot of them grew up listening to Elvis and and you know uh, acts like that. But when Cindy sings, you could definitely hear the Brooklyn in her.
1: So I'm going to bring a couple of other artists into this now. Okay. So 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 when you hear Cindy, you can hear the New York accent.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I I love the Ramones. When you listen to the Ramones, you could hear the New York accent. Yes, I'm a fan of typo negative. I've I've had you listen to some typo negative. Mm-hmm. When Peter Steele sings, you could hear the Brooklyn accent.
0: That's the Brooklyn very true.
1: accent specifically is very distinct. But also, if you listen to a Billy Joel song, and Billy Joel and I grew grew up like one town apart. Mm-hmm. Um, there is listen closely the New York accent's there. It's not as heavy because the further out on the island you get, the less thick it gets. But mm-hmm. when he says his R's specifically. You can hear that, like his wada, like if he says water or whatever, like right. He says it he says it like a Long Islander. Mm-hmm. Um so, but it's there if if you're listening for it. But the Brooklyn accent, the, the three acts I mentioned from Brooklyn, a hundred percent you could hear it every single time they sing.
0: Yeah. And you know, it it's interesting too because when he is angry, when he's yelling at somebody, that's when it really comes out. Right. He goes right back in. And I think that's just a natural Ah, uh, when you're in that gear, you speak the language that you're most comfortable with, right? So I think it's just probably part of his nature when he's in those stressful moments to go back to his roots.
1: But but going back to Cindy, the Brooklyn accent
0: is so distinct,
1: even to New Yorkers. Yeah, right. Um, that that it's very hard to cover, even in song, with the enunciations.
0: Mm-hmm. I can understand that, and and she has a really. Interesting voice, like even her speaking voice is very interesting, very unique. Um, she sounds in a way like she's a child, and I don't mean that in a mean way, she just has a very youthful voice. To where if you just listen to her, you might think she was a kid, unless you see her speaking, then obviously you know that she's an adult, but she has a very, very young sounding speaking voice.
1: Yeah, it's almost like that baby girl girl Betty Boop voice, and some of the other sounds. Yeah. Um, you, you'll hear her hit that gear too. Um, When she wants to turn it on, she does. And I think she could have just as easily been a vo- voiceover actress as, as, as a singer because I, it really feels like she has that gear.
0: I wonder if she hasn't done some voice acting, like maybe in uh, some animated movies or a video game or two. It seems like somebody would have hit her up for it at some point.
1: The, the, the only reason why she hasn't is she probably said no to it. I can't yeah. imagine any other reason why she hasn't been involved in it.
0: That very well could be, Um, you know, and those choices are tough because just because an opportunity comes along that may be a great opportunity doesn't necessarily mean it's the right opportunity at the right time. Uh, Who was it? I I was just I just found out she was offered the role in Titanic and she turned it down because she had done another movie with Leonardo DiCaprio and she Claire Danes. Claire Danes. Yeah, I just found out she was offered Kate Winslet's role and said no.
1: She had just done Romeo and Juliet, mm-hmm. the modernized version, um, with, with Leonardo DiCaprio and didn't want to be typecast. Yeah. And, and and said no. I mean, people have all different reasons why they turn things down. Um, and some people will look at it like it was a mistake or whatever, mm-hmm. but it's you gotta do what's right for you in the moment.
0: Yeah. It's always interesting going back and hearing actors or or artists talk about those opportunities and whether they're glad they they stood by that decision or they regretted it after the fact. Just because something successful doesn't necessarily mean it's the right thing for you or your direction.
1: Well, for Claire Danes, it was also it was another long period of time, like filming in like Mexico, where I think yeah, that's where they were they were, they had built the tank to build, film Titanic, mm-hmm. and she's like, I don't want I don't want to be tied up with other. I don't know if it was six months or a year or two years. I think years it was like eight,
0: an eighth-month
1: commitment. Yeah, whatever whatever it was, yeah. it was pulling her away from home. It's mm-hmm. totally, It's like somebody turning down being in the Lord of the Rings movies, having to move. I, I, I just heard, um, I think it was Mark Marin It wasn't Lord of the Rings, but it was something else that was filming mm-hmm. in Australia. But he was going to have to go away for like two years. Film there, and he's like, "I'm not going to Australia for two years." Yeah, and like I understand that. Like I wouldn't want to be away from home for two years.
0: Yeah, I mean it's a hell of a commitment, and I and I have to give props to the people that were in the Lord of the Rings films because that was really an investment for them. You know, and not just the actors, but the crew, the you know the set designers, the costume people. Like that's a big commitment for all of the people that it took to make that happen.
1: A bunch of them went went and got tattoos together too. Mm-hmm. They're matching tattoos to show the the years together that they spent, like almost like what, what war war buddies would do.
0: Yeah, I can't imagine the the you know when when you work on a play or a film, there's a certain element of family that comes with that. Even if you're shooting a music video and you shoot a mus- music video over two or three days or a week, there's a certain little element of family, but it dissipates over time. I would have to think a commitment like that is something that's more a good 20 years maybe before it starts to grow apart if ever
1: yeah yeah i i I have a feeling that's one of those things where 20 years could go by and you pick up a phone and you pick it up like it's yesterday
0: yeah yeah very possibly and and this song money changes everything is really true i mean it it people think that if you win the lottery, your your life is just better and it's always going to be better and everything is bliss. But you know what? You still have relationships. You still have uh, diseases and heartache and everything else that comes with life. Money does not solve the problems. It might help bring certain things into play that might make you happier. It might give you a little stability so that you don't have to do certain things you don't want to do maybe, but it does not solve all the problems. Although I'd like to find out firsthand that that's the case. You also will find out like
1: who your real friends are, because all of a sudden you'll see who's all of a sudden reaching their hands out, you know, mm-hmm. to, to, for you to reach in your pockets. Yeah. So, um, Steve Martin's the jerk play, plays, plays on that a little bit when he becomes super wealthy and then all of a sudden everyone's asking him for money. Right. Mm-hmm. And it happens in real life all the time. So oh, yeah. It 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 changes to, will it change things for the better. Sure, you'll be able to pay your bills and things like that, but you'll have a whole other litter, litter of problems that you don't expect to come with it.
0: Well, and there's a there's a song on the Deep Purple album Burn uh, where uh, David Coverdale and Glenn Hughes wrote the lyrics about that very thing. He said, "You know, people that never cared about me yesterday, all of a sudden are telling me how to invest my money and promising me this, and they're going to be there for me for that." And it's like. I didn't mean anything to you before I was in this band. And now all of a sudden I'm a cash cow to you. And I'm like, yeah, that really does happen. But in fairness, they didn't probably know you existed before you were in the band, but still there's, there's a difference Whoa. between meeting somebody and, and wanting to get to know them and wanting to get to know them because of their new status in life. It's
1: It certainly opens more do- doors with fame. Yeah. Right. But that's not really money changing things. It's fame changing things. Exactly. Right. There are plenty of people who have who who have wealth that don't have fame. Can't get the same doors open. Somebody with fame without money. Mm-hmm. Right. N- Nicolas Cage at one point, you know, couldn't rub two dollars together be, because he had o- o- over over overcommitted and overspent his money, mm-hmm. and could still have the name of Nicolas Cage. So, as much as money changes everything. Fame is probably what people are correlating that with more.
0: Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, for me, I don't, I don't care about being super rich. I just want to be comfortable. I want to know if if something, if my engine blew, I'd be like, okay, let's go get another car, and not, you know, not feel stressed about how I was going to pay my rent or my mortgage or, uh, you know, if I, I have to clip some extra coupons before I go to the grocery store. Like, I just want to be comfortable. I don't care about being excessively wealthy.
1: I want. All of that, Scott. And and that robot that Rocky buys in Rocky 4 for, for
0: Pauly. <laughs> yeah, I, I want to know what kind of voice you'd reprogram her with. Um I'll be Dave Mustaine's. Oh, there just, you go.
1: Just because I, I I think it would be hysterical.
0: Yeah, I think yeah, it'd yeah. be fun to have like an alpacino backup program. Like every once in a while you could flip it over to Al yeah. Pacino mode.
1: Yeah, like, 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 I I just picture, like, having Dave Mustaine answer the door for me, right? And, and, and like, his shout as somebody, like, John Doerr, but, like, it, it, it's like, John Doerr! Like, like I can't <laughs> right. even do the Mustaine. But you get what I'm saying, like, yelling from the other room. I think a robot doing that would be hysterical.
0: And then, like, every fifth phrase would be, fuck those guys in Metallica.
1: Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> right, right? You're like, here's your pancakes, John. Fuck Metallica. <laughs> <laughs> right, Yeah.
0: Uh, you gotta have a yeah you you gotta you gotta get the full dave Mustaine experience if you're gonna do it right i love it that would be fun and you know what else you and i aren't the only ones that want to have fun girls just want to have fun this is a song that uh i don't i don't know if it would be fair to say it's cindy's biggest hit but i would say this is a huge hit and as we're recording this on women's day I think it's fair to say that thinking about how things work, because even, even in the early 80s, if I remember right, this is when women were really just starting to integrate into the commercial workplace where they were getting jobs and offices, but more as secretaries and not really being taken seriously as intelligent people. But it was the beginning, I think, of of getting out of the house and just being responsible for being the, the household mother and actually you know, integrating into a more public realm so i think it's ironic that we're recording this today but i i kind of see this as a potential depending on how you look at it as an early theme song for women i'm sure i'm going to get bashed for saying that but i no, i think you're 100% right i think that this was
1: you know I, I don't know if i would call this as much a theme song as an anthem mm-hmm. but i think it's very much that anthem i think uh you know you're talking in an era i, I believe nine to five was re- released around this time Mm-hmm. um a working girl gets released a couple of years after this mr mom's released around this time right, right? so 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 there's a lot of women getting back into the workplace like I, I throw mr mom in there and in case you're wondering why i throw a movie called mr mom in a women's empowerment moment because terry gar goes back to work at an advertising firm right. and that's really the plot of that movie mm-hmm. And michael keaton can't find work so he stays home to take care of the kids And even though it's a comedy about how he struggles with that, the part of the plot is she's back to work pitching marketing ideas um, for, for a good portion of the movie.
0: And interestingly, I own all three of those movies on DVD. And a fourth one that doesn't really tie in, but just fits that time frame was The Incredible Shrinking Woman, also with Lily Tomlin from 9 to 5 uh and her husband was uh, in advertising he wrote jingles and he wrote the uh what was the um it was something glue i can't think of it now if i think of it it's going to get stuck in my head again but there was a a glue that was like the the center of his advertising galaxy glue and now there i go now it's going to be in my head all night but <laughs> the most ridiculously mind numbing jingle That would work so well in the real world because you would go around singing that jingle all the time. Um, But yeah, those those were all around that same time. And interestingly, there was a very brief scene in Working Girl with Kevin Spacey, where he is a business exec in the in the back of a limousine. And he's trying to get Melanie Griffith to go on this business trip with him. I didn't know who Kevin Spacey was at the time, and when I went back and watched it a couple years ago, I'm like, "Holy shit, that's Kevin Spacey! He looks the same as he did 20 years later."
1: Yeah, yeah, no, he, play, he plays a complete sleazeball in it, and he's trying to trying to get into Melanie Griffith's pants. And and um, you know, if you, you know anything about Kevin Spacey, it's oddly ironic. And
0: also scarily true at the same time. Exactly. But what a great movie for Harrison Ford, because it really showed his ability, his character's ability to really trust in what the woman was saying and not just go, I'm the man, I'm the manager, I make the business decisions, but really listen to her. And I really like that because that wasn't something that was very common in the world. So I really look at that as a very big female empowerment movie.
1: Yeah. Um, And while we're on the topic of movies, Mm -hmm. um, I just want to throw out there, I don't know if you know this, but there there was another movie in the 80s that came out, um, 85 actually, called Girls Just Want to Have Fun
0: and it oh that that was a uh it was a comedy right shannon doherty yeah. shannon doherty sarah jessica
1: parker a young helen hunt yeah jonathan, jonathan silverman um tremendous cast um the movie's based on this song oh it is right? okay it, it's actually based on the song but do the licensing issues um doesn't appear in the song in, in the movie at all
0: oh that's ironic
1: right but 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 like I, I knew there was a correlation between the two. I was mm-hmm. just reading up on it. I was che- I was checking really quick why why you were given the Harrison Ford tidbit, and, and and um, I was very surprised to see the song doesn't appear in the movie at all, but it is a movie completely based on this song. I wonder if they had to pay for the title. I'm probably not because it's a movie versus a
0: song. Yeah, that's why I'm wondering, because if if it were another song, it's we, it, it gets really sticky when it comes to that kind of stuff. And it kind of depends on who's the judge, who will just pay money to make something go away. Like if I if I give you fifty thousand dollars, will you shut up with this kind of thing? Um, but yeah, that would be really interesting to uh, to find out. Well, let's take a listen to the song, because this is uh, this was the song that I first heard by her. That maybe go, "Wow, who is this singer? And what else has she done?" Where do you even start? It's such a great rhythm. It's a great melody. I love the guitar sound. But that little huh that you hear at the end is so trademark, Cindy.
1: The the, the sounds and the noises she, she makes, the filler, like, you know, we do the Aerosmith podcast and you sometimes get on Steven Tyler's case for some of the filler he'll throw in there. That doesn't but, sound like me. Oh, not not at all. <laughs> not, not at all. Um but, there's but
0: filler and there's talking over the entire guitar solo. <laughs> that, that, that's very fair. But but what, what does with Sydney Lauper does with with her filler, um
1: this song is just so full of music and life and energy that is so appropriate for her to throw those little huzz and whats and whatever in there because, because the noises she's making are complementing what the rest of the song is doing.
0: Mm-hmm. You know what I feel like? I I feel like there are times when I hear a song where those types of things are strategic. And there are times when I feel like this is very much in the moment. She's in the studio singing. She's got the, you know, the music just filling her ears and her her soul. And it just comes out very naturally. And I feel like this is very natural with her. I don't think it's strategic or planned. I think it's just in the moment.
1: Yeah. No, if it feels very much like when you listen to somebody like James Brown saying right? It, it just mm-hmm. feels like somebody who's feeling the music as it's going. And if their instrument's going to play along with the other instruments, it's going to let some noise out.
0: Yeah, for sure. Now, in James Brown's case, if you're talking about live and you hear him say, gotcha, that means somebody in his band just lost 25 bucks and they were only making like 50 bucks a night. So that was a pretty hefty uh, mistake that uh, <laughs> that he caught. Uh, but you know what I what I like about this too is it is it is just wall to wall joy. I mean, it's fun. The guitar rift is light and bouncy. the The keyboards are so simple; they're playing almost like a fifties da 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 da, and that's it. You know, very very simple, but yet it sounds full. It feels like there's so much going on. There's some really killer backups in this song that that come later on, and the end of it is one of those songs that the way it ends or really fades out. You just want to chase it. You like, I'm not done with you yet. And you just want to follow it into the sunset because that's where it, it feels like it's going.
1: Well, and it starts at 100 miles an hour. Like the song starts, and both of us are bobbing our heads along. Like mm-hmm. we're two two teenage girls here. And, and with not with not a care in the world. Like it is such a fun, fun song and starts almost like in the middle of the song. Like it doesn't feel like there's really an intro at all. It's like, here's the song.
0: right you know it's just that really weird synth panning back and forth between my ears and then the guitar and everything else comes in and we're just in the song all of a sudden
1: no and and you know you 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 do you do music scores i'm a big fan of movies this song starts with what i would call a smash cut Mm -hmm. right Like, like that's very much what it feels like it's like boom we're in the next scene and here we go
0: yeah Now, I don't know statistically if this was the biggest hit for her, because I know that um, she had a lot of them. But I would have to say this really kickstarted everything, I think, for her.
1: I think it's got to be between this and time after time. Mm -hmm. And for different reasons, they're both super popular. But when you think about this song in particular, it being an Anthem for women and for, for girls, for young girls specifically, um, and, and, and just how fun it is. Mm-hmm. Um, it's To me, the difference between these two songs is Spielberg did Jurassic Park and Shenmue's List in the same year. Yeah. And, you know, and, and edited them at the same time. And Cyndi Lauper doing these two songs on this album are kind of like that in that this is her Jurassic Park. This is her fun poppy hit. And look, comparing anything to Shino's List isn't fair, but that time after time, I think you get where I'm going with this. It's like a lot more serious, right? Yeah, you, you, you know, you know, it's a little bit slower. It's not necessarily as fun, but mm-hmm. but but is such a well crafted song. And we'll get into that when we talk about that a little bit later. But I I I think that that comparison is probably pretty apt when you're talking about these two mega hits.
0: I, I think that's a great comparison. I mean, it, obviously, Time After Time and Schindler's List are are worlds apart, but the vast difference between the the two songs and the two movies is, is spot on. Um, I think, too, I'm trying to remember what the song was. I, I, the title's not coming to me, but there was like a um, a gender song or something that she wrote... Because uh, she's she's very pro LGBTQ. She's always you know doing uh, different things in the political realm. And I can't think of what the song was. It's it's like it's it's okay to be different or something. I can't think of it right now. But that was a really big hit for her too. I don't know if that was a bigger hit than Girls Just Want to Have Fun. But either way, I mean, she's smashing the charts with both of them. It may it, it, I mean it, it may have been, but this is off of her first album. Yeah, this is debut album, right. and and also let's let's think a little bit about what was going on music in the musical world back then. I mean, MTV's really new, uh, the WWF is really just starting to gain that notoriety, and they're doing that with the rock and wrestling push. Um, Vince McMahon was an announcer back then.
1: Well, he was the owner, but he was the announcer.
0: Yeah, but, but he was but... a character in the show as a ringside guy. You know, a but... nerdy little ringside guy that nobody really knew. How big he was under that count.
1: But, but but what's great about it is Vince McMahon used Cindy Lauper mm. to prop up wrestling, right? Like they talk about the rock and wrestling and it spun off into a, I don't know if you remember this, but there was a Saturday morning cartoon with the Hulk Hogan rock and wrestling, rock and wrestlers oh, or whatever.
0: There was. Yeah, there because was. I could pick as soon as you said that I pictured Lou Albano
1: is a cartoon. And 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 the rock and wrestling became a very big thing for a couple of years there until WrestleMania hit, mm-hmm. right? So so everyone thinks about WrestleMania being the big moment, but without Cindy Lauper and without the help of MTV, WWF never gets there. And Vince McMahon has said it in documentaries, mm-hmm. right? Like Cindy Lopper is in the WWF Hall of Fame for a reason. Oh, absolutely! And she was at the. Was it only the first WrestleMania? She was at the first WrestleMania, but the first WrestleMania happened, I think, a year or two after the MTV thing they did. Or it might have mm-hmm. been six months after the MTV thing that they did. Was,
0: I know there was a gap in between the two, um, but they they were still kind of gently running that storyline through the WWF to just keep the momentum of it, enough to keep it going to be right. able to sell it for, uh, for WrestleMania. The song that I was trying to think of is True Colors. Yeah, which was the anthem for uh, the LGBTQ movement. Um, Another beautiful song. So I don't know, you know, statistically what was a bigger hit, but all I can say is they were both incredibly impactful. But so was Time After Time. So was Shebop. So was, you know, I mean, the the list goes on because she's just been a nonstop incredible artist. Yeah. And the scary thing was, I think it was in 77, she was told she would never be able to sing. I mean, and, they were and all here. We are five at... years later, you know, with with this album.
1: Yeah, with with with, with um, an album that we're talking about
0: um, forty years later. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. And, and it's still to me this album. You know, there are certain things I, I think more from like the '60s that have a sound that you know, you know, it's from the '60s. You know, this is from the '80s but yet it feels just as relevant today. If I were to hear this stuff for the first time, I would say, yeah, this is an 80s album, but I wouldn't feel like the music is so distant.
1: I, I listen to so much rock music. um, But this album, to me, very indicative of the sound I associate with this time of the 80s, this mm-hmm. early 80s time period, this new wave sound the Boy George's, the Cyndi Loppers. um, This it could almost be the soundtrack of the time.
0: Yeah. I mean, play play this album and then play a Duran Duran album and then play a right. Flock of Seagulls album. You know, they're, they all have that. Something similar in the production and in the overall feel, you know. Um, the British stuff is a little bit different than what she was doing, but she definitely created her own path within this genre. For sure,
1: yeah, and then and then like like I said earlier, like she she was very much imitated for a while, but never yeah. duplicated.
0: Yeah, and I think she she kind of did the same thing that Madonna did, just went down a different road to do it. Whereas Madonna was, I want to be controversial, and I'm going to be you know sexy and and you know do things that make people talk. And I think Cindy was like, I'm just going to be unique. I'm going to be who I am, and I'm different than everybody else, and that's what's going to work for me. And it did, and it did, right? And
1: yeah. it did, right? Like that's that's the whole thing. And it's nothing against Madonna. Madonna, plays her own trail in her own way. Mm-hmm. And, but Cindy, Cindy took a, um, I don't want to call it a more challenging path, but maybe a less obvious path. Yeah, and and and, and um, every bit is equal.
0: Yeah, it's not hard to sell sex. It really isn't.
1: I, I think mean, it is for me, yeah. That-
0: well, for for me, Scott, yeah.
1: Scott, I just want to point out, I've been I've been I've been trying to sell sex for over forty years and very <laughs> unsuccessful at it.
0: So it's not as easy as you think. I,
1: let's not take everything away from Madonna right now.
0: Well, I mean, but, but it it, comparative to the two paths, you know, I mean, I've gone into debt trying to sell myself, so I'm certainly no one to speak, but if you're, I mean, if you're attractive and you know, you've got the young kids of the eighties, you've got a new generation, you've got MTV. So now you have a bigger uh, video component to go along with, with whatever it is that you're trying to do. It was not a hard road to drive down. She went, she took it to an extreme, which is, I think why she got noticed but just to be able to get into that arena of selling sex, it's not a difficult road to, to hop on. No,
1: but I mean, I would love to do a mockumentary where I try to sell sex, and it's just like two hours of
0: me failing hard. I did the music for that.
1: Oh, you, I would, I would ask nobody else but you to do the music Sweet. for that.
0: Sweet, I just got a gig, and it's on record because we're recording.